Hello and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North. That's Russ Hodges. For the first time in this iteration of the Frogs of War podcast, we are coming to you after a loss as TCU fell in overtime in the Big 12 championship. Um, But it will not all be somber podcasting as there is a ton to celebrate about TCU football this season and what's ahead as TCU did end at number three in the college football playoff and will be headed to the Fiesta Bowl for uh, college football playoff semifinal. Lots of national awards, uh, conference awards, and just incredible things happening still for TCU football. So we we will go back and, and uh, cover all that happened at the at the game. Uh, we've also got some basketball and volleyball to hit with you today, this week. But Russ, how are you feeling? Yeah, you know, shout out USC, uh, helping pave the way a little bit Friday evening, taking that loss against Utah. My brother and I were watching that game. We were having a couple drinks and had to have a couple more as that game started to transpire there late in the second half. But little celebration, little celebration, yes. man. But um, obviously a, a tough loss for for TCU. But we talked last week about how we felt that their spot in the playoff was pretty safe and. Um, it was nice to see that reflected in the, in the national media, just the general sentiment as you watch the championship games Saturday night going into Sunday morning. Um, a lot of confidence in, in TCU sticking around and to, to stay at number three and clinch that spot in the Fiesta Bowl against Michigan. Um, we're we're going to remember a, a college football playoff win a lot more than we're going to remember a Big 12 championship game. So. A uh, lot to look forward to there, and a lot of time now for the Frogs to get healthy. And in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and celebrate some some postseason awards. And uh, I'm I'm excited, man. It's it's going to be uh, I'm going to be anticipating this game quite a bit. So e- looking forward to it for sure. Oh yeah, no doubt. And you know, even after after the loss on Saturday, and uh, watching football the rest of the day as as things played out and you know, kind of feeling somewhat nervous about what the the committee was going to do, but still having a level of confidence and getting to see Nick Saban go and kind of grovel on, on TV and take his, you know, 10 minutes on during the, take his, the entire big 10 halftime show to to speak about, uh, you know, who would win on a Vegas line? Like as if he didn't already lose two games as a favorite um, this season. So it's fun to see that 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 TCU gets the uh, gets the love over the big dog Nick Saban and Alabama. Um, you know, I'm sure there was some conversation about including the Crimson Tide just because of their track record and you know the stars uh, recruiting stars on their team. But um, ultimately, common sense won out that <clears throat> TCU getting getting to overtime and losing on a neutral site to a top 10 team in a extra game that it had to play because it, it made the conference championship um, certainly warranted its position. Happy to see uh, the frogs at three and one for one reason, avoiding Georgia. <laughs> I think that's, that's the best news. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that anyone's, uh, feeling like Michigan is any pushover by any stretch, um, without question. But, uh, 
being able to avoid that juggernaut that is the Bulldogs from Athens, that's it, it makes it feel like TCU's got a chance going into that Fiesta Bowl. And, and we'll spend the next few weeks talking about that game and hyping everything up and getting ourselves all worked into a tizzy about all the different ways that TCU can attempt to, uh, to take down the Wolverines. But let's take a look back at last weekend's game at AT&T Stadium. Uh, like we've said, TCU loses. I can't, it's hard for me to even say the word. I've, I haven't had to say that at all this season. It's, that's crazy. Yeah. Loses the game 31 to 28. Um, a lot of opportunities here for, uh, for both teams to maybe have taken, taken this away. Um, but I think starting out, you know, TCU opens this game with this, with this, uh, great drive goes down scores, um, feeling really good and forcing a punt and then next offensive drive TCU attempts a super long field goal uh 55 yards and i guess was this was this the right thing to do here um TCU's drive stalled inside the 40 they they had a first and 10 at the 40 yard line um ended up only getting 3 more yards and ends up wasting that opportunity there where you, you had a chance to really start to, to put the foot on the throat. Yeah. I think the, the 55 yard field goal, I understood why the frogs attempted that kick. When you consider he Griffin Kell had just made a 54 yarder the week before against Iowa state. He's had a great season. I think Sonny Dykes and the staff had a lot, have a lot of confidence in him. But I think you also have to consider the circumstances in that TCU was playing a weak Iowa State team at home on senior day. The score was already 24-7. to At that point of the game, you kick a field goal. I believe it was in the second quarter. There isn't a whole lot at stake if you miss that kick. And uh, looking at this kick here, you're up 7-0, but you're playing a much better team. You're playing on a neutral site. Um, you're risking giving Kansas State's offense the ball right back around midfield after your defense came out and looked really solid on that first drive. And the the down and distance, like you said, it would have been too much to go for it. I honestly, as much as it pains me to say it, I wouldn't have minded to see Jordy Sandy punt there. Just pin the defense or pin the offense back. And just considering how that first drive went, for, for TCU's defense, force the Wildcats to go 90-plus yards down the field to try and tie the game as opposed to uh, giving the ball back around midfield. So I think that, in my view, the 55-yarder was really the only bad call Sonny Dykes made in this game. We can talk about uh, some of the calls Garrett Riley made later on. But, uh, yeah, like you said, the first drive for TCU offensively Really solid. Max Duggan hits Tay Barber for the touchdown. I thought they attacked the middle of that Kansas State defense really well over the air. They were hitting some of their big targets early on in the first quarter. Um, But running the football was a big challenge in this game. I think TCU was committed to running a lot of inside zone, and it just wasn't there. You know, Kansas State, I think, made a concerted effort in this game to 
take the middle away from TCU's rushing attack. And, and the Frogs have run the ball really well in between the tackles all season, but they, they just couldn't get it going. And I think you saw Kansas State, how they opened up opportunities for Deuce Vaughn was by running some end-around action to guys like Malik Knowles or Phillip Brooks, and they were able to pick up some yards. Uh, Will Howard scrambled a couple of times, but it was really those end-around plays that helped kind of open things up for their rushing game. TCU really didn't get very creative running the football until the fourth quarter when it seemed like they were finally starting to send guys in motion. Uh, Max Duggan started to say, F it, I'm going to do it myself. But the, the run the run game was a challenge for, for TCU in this game. And I think when you combine that with the fact that Max, to be honest, just wasn't very sharp in the first half, it was really difficult for TCU to sustain any drives outside of that first touchdown. I think Max had a lot of throws. He had a play with Tay Barber running over the middle of the field, mm. right down the mm. hash marks. If he hits him in stride, that's six points. Um, and he just overthrew him. I think we saw some some flashes of the old Max in the first half where he kind of had happy feet in the pocket. He was overthrowing a lot of guys. I think after that first drive, he was 5 for 15 through the air. It was, it was just a very difficult stretch. And Kansas State, because they were getting good field position with TCU's offense not being able to move the ball, they were able to capitalize and ultimately take a, a first-half lead. Yeah, that that miss on the Tay Barber play was was brutal because it felt like, well, well one, that was probably a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, all season, that's one that Max has hit. And... Barbara was wide open. Um, it's it's a play you can't miss. But it also felt like that was, like you said, on, on that first drive, there was a lot of work towards the middle of the field, a lot of uh, letting letting plays develop. And, and maybe this was the Kansas State defensive line getting through and to Max uh, quickly because I think they only got one one sack maybe on the game, but but uh, Max was getting beat up and hassled back there um, all day, even if it was just the one sack. But <clears throat> it felt like Max, the, the play calling became a lot more um, towards the outside, throwing it the deep balls, hoping for a pass interference or a big catch. Um, there were a couple deep ones looking for for Hudson, looking for Quentin Johnston, um, looking for Darius Davis on uh you know some one on ones where he's covered by a a bigger defensive back um that are you know low probability plays kind of trying to hit the big one but i don't really know that that's been what has worked best for TCU through this season they've been able to hit some of those plays but it hasn't been the offense and it felt like it was a little bit of that was the offense in this one. And um, I don't know if it kept Max out of rhythm or, or what, but it it really was not working there um, for, for much of the, at least for the first half. And really that, that continued into the second half that, that attempt at taking the big shot. Yeah. I think when you look at the second half, the frogs were able to hit one of those big plays with Quentin Johnston near the, Kansas State sideline and it felt like 
after they kicked the, the field goal, they played with a lot of tempo during the final minutes of the first half to, to get some points on the board at least and and cut the score, I believe, to I think it was 14 to 10 or 17 to 10, but made, yep, made it 14 10 at yeah, half. Made it a one score game. And uh, the Frogs, Max Duggan finds Quentin Johnson for about a 30 yard gain. And you just, a player is just maybe trying to do a little bit too much. He's got the sideline there. He tries to cut back upfield and he fumbles the ball. Kansas State takes over possession. And unfortunately for TCU, we talked last week on the podcast about how Kansas State is just not the kind of team that beats itself up. And TCU finished the game with two turnovers. Kansas State's only turnover was on special teams. It was a very fortunate break for the for the Frogs with Phillip Brooks muffing that punt. But the two turnovers on the offensive end, the Quinton Johnston fumble, and then later on in the second half when, again, a, a situation where it feels like TCU's offense is starting to get it going. They get it inside the 10-yard line. I asked my buddies, it was third and seven. I'm like, what's the call here? I think it's probably going to be a fade to Quinton Johnston. And that's the exact mm. play that they ran. And I thought it was there if the throw was on target, but it was, it was just a bad throw and it was intercepted. And those are just the kind of things, those little things against an elite team like Kansas state, those are just mistakes that you can't make, unfortunately. And um, just missed opportunities. And again, the 55 yard field goal attempt in the first half, just mistakes. When you think about the first matchup, between TCU and Kansas State, the Wildcats had two interceptions. They had two missed field goals, and they wind up losing by 10 points. Uh, TCU, in this game, they're the team that commits more mistakes. Uh, even the the OPI on Jordan Hudson, where maybe he scores mm. a touchdown, is that PI, is that not PI? I don't know. There were a lot of calls in this game that you can babble on about all day long, but the reality was, I think, if TCU punts instead of kicking the 55-yarder, maybe Kansas State doesn't score. If Duggan hits Quentin Johnston on the fade, maybe it's a different story in the fourth quarter. If Quentin Johnston doesn't fumble on the big gain, maybe they score a touchdown on that drive. You just got to execute in those situations. Yeah, and, man, there were so many of these opportunities. and, And really, the first drive out of the out of halftime, TCU gets the ball um, and immediately the the kick return, the kick return game ha- was not very good in this one, but this was a, a return that was brought out to like the 15 yard line, um, you know, which, which is basically the equivalent of just taking a loss of 10 just for no reason, um, which is unfortunate, but that drive gains I don't think a single yard and has a play that very easily could have just sent the game into a tailspin um where Max Duggan has is getting chased and it appears to be a fumble into the end zone that ends up uh TCU offensive lineman falls on and is called a safety on the field and then they go back and review it and call it a a, a forward pass I guess because his arm was coming forward, even though he didn't release the ball. Um, I don't know. Again, yeah. Officiating going both directions was kind of suspect in this one. Not not the greatest performance from the Big 12 officials. But, uh, you know, it was 
it really took the wind out of the sails because even after you get that call to go your way, you punt it away and immediately they run that, um, that Knowles end around sweep where he goes like 50 yards and brings it down inside in, into like the 15. So, uh, yeah, a lot of opportunity there where you, you close the half with basically with the ball scoring, um, the field goal to close the half. And that's one where you probably think, well, that probably could have been a touchdown, could have been an opportunity to tie the game. But in any case, we get the ball after half and it's all going to be fine. And then right away, it's just very much not fine. Um, and Kansas State extends that lead out to uh, to 11 points. And it was it was worrisome. And, and TCU's drive right after that, another really bad drive, just like three yards um, or something like it was, it was not a good drive, but they punt. And that's when you get that, you get the break of the fumble on the punt. And then you, oh man, the, the Max Duggan throw to Trent battle mm-hmm. on that drive, just a, just a, a beauty I, <clears throat> and a great play by battle to, to position himself to make that catch and get his feet in and all of that. Um, that was that was the moment where it's like, all right, TCU's coming back to win this game. This is going to happen. Um, but and then get the ball back, and then and then it's the drive that ends in the in the fourth quarter. The first play of the fir- fourth quarter is at the at the goal line fade to Quentin Johnston, and you know I I don't know if it's it's a terrible call. Um, you know, I think people just generally hate the fade into the end zone as a rule. Football fans hate it, um, because it's kind of a, it's a tough one, but when you've got a guy with the talent of Quentin Johnston, you, you put the ball up and you give him a chance and, and you hope he comes down with it. I think the ball just was, it didn't give him a chance. It, it was, I don't know. I I don't want to be too harsh, but I I think it might've been. Max Duggan's worst throw of the season. Um, I, I I don't know, but he he underthrew it, well underthrew it. I feel like if you're throwing the fade, it was almost like maybe they were not on the same page or something. Maybe he was supposed to be coming back or some sort of like inside shoulder thing to the pylon or something. But it was it was right there in the breadbasket for that defensive back and. Um, you know, you you go from that opportunity to be on the doorstep to take the lead to now you're you let them go march right back down the field to to put it back to eleven. So, uh, I don't know. I I mean I mean I guess it all came down to the end though because you know all of these these back and forth moments um, ended up you're still there at the end of the day. Um, on the goal line with the chance to to take the lead in overtime. So I don't know, maybe, maybe none of it even matters. Maybe, maybe I, I don't know. I think, I think the other big thing to talk about from that fourth quarter before we talk about the overtime and, and the finish is just the heroics for Max Duggan in that drive to come down, down eight points, um, 
you've got 70 yards to go. Uh, you know, what, what are you going to do? How, how are you going to figure out a way to keep this magic alive? And man, he just, he just left every bit of himself on that field. Um, he, he did it all himself. Um, I think he, he might've picked up every, I think there might've been one run play to Kendra Miller or something. There, there might've been a couple other little plays, but really it was all, it was all Max Duggan. I mean, what can you say about Max Duggan? Uh, other than just incredible. Yeah, that was that was backyard football at the end of the game. Uh, not just Max using his legs and getting out of the pocket and making things happen, but um, I think Garrett Riley in the fourth quarter took every page out of the playbook that had uh, run plays on it and just threw them in the garbage can because it, it seemed like every single play was some kind of deep pass down the field or some intermediate route and it's like they just completely abandoned the run and I guess I could be I could get being frustrated with the way the run game was going because the inside zones just weren't there but I think that goes back to just you have to find some different ways to move the ball on the ground whether it's running an option play running end around some quick passes out of the backfield as kind of an extension of the run game you know, players like Trent Battle and Amari Di Mercado have been pretty effective in those kind of roles over these last few weeks, but um, it just wasn't happening in between the tackles. And then you get into the fourth quarter, and every play is just a a drop back and a, and a deep ball, a couple balls that uh, very fortunate weren't intercepted, thrown in double coverage. But the heart of a lion, you know, just being able to make things happen when you least expect it. I mean, Max Duggan more than made up for the turnover with that last drive. That was unbelievable to watch just to, to see him. I mean, we've, we've all seen the replays. We've seen the pictures. The man emptied the tank. The man had nothing left at the end of that drive. And to run 40 yards down the field and then have your own number called on the very next play. It was kind of funny to watch but it was awesome to celebrate because it was like he was running in slow motion, but the play developed so nicely that he was able to just go off tackle and dive right into the end zone. And then he's got to throw a pass for two points right after that. All that just to score the touchdown. And you still had to get the two pointer after that. And if you remember last time frogs had to go for two in the exact same situation, the exact same score, it was a throw to Amari DiMercato that he dropped. And this time Jared Wiley did not drop it. Uh, Jared Wiley had a nice game in this one. Um, he was really solid against Kansas state actually had his best game of the season against Kansas state earlier this year. So I was happy to see TCU look his way in this one, but yeah, that, that last drive is just kind of indicative of how Max Duggan's career has gone, how his season has gone and the kind of football player that he is. You, you can kind of you live with the highs and the lows a little bit, but you never question the determination. You never question the leadership. You never question the drive, and it was it was just awesome to see. Um, even with TCU losing this game, I think that fourth quarter is another one of those potential Heisman moments for him, and I'm just no really happy to to see the way he finished the game and be because of 
what he did in the fourth quarter, that's what made the overtime drive so frustrating. And for whatever reason, I feel like TCU has really struggled in goal line scenarios this year. We, I think about the Iowa State game uh, the week prior where it took them forever to get in on the one-yard line. They finally run it in on fourth down on a play where Kenray Miller's got to bounce it outside of two or three holes because there's just nothing there. We've seen jet sweeps to Quentin Johnston at the goal line. We've seen shotgun at the one-yard line. I just, I feel like the, maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't know what you think, but I feel like the Frogs have just, they've struggled at the goal line this year. And I feel like they've had a tendency to almost outsmart themselves when K-State was given TCU the sneak on that fourth down play and the third down play. They didn't have... It appeared to be there. Yeah. yeah. They, they had one lineman uh, lined up uh, just over the center, but usually on those kinds of plays, you see two or three guys that are just... They're sandwiched in there because they're not giving up that sneak. TCU brought Carter Ware into the game, who's you know their de facto fullback right now, but gosh, I just... I, I hated those third and fourth down calls. I hated them because... You tried to do what hadn't worked all game long. And it's that's no disrespect to Kendra Miller, by the way, because we know what Kendra Miller can do. He's big time. But those plays just the, – the inside, like I've said multiple times now, it just wasn't there in this game. And Max is the guy that got you into overtime with that drive and to not give him an opportunity – if Duggan tries to sneak and they don't get in, I'm not even mad about it because you gave your your best player a chance to win and it just didn't happen. But to take the ball out of his hands was was very disappointing for me to see. Yeah, I think I think the third down was actually the most disappointing because third down is where you kind of have the most opportunity to do anything. Um you know, you, you could try one of your silly jet sweeps. You could try one of your, you could try rollout pass or run pass option or, um, or anything. Because I mean, even if at the end of the day it gets sacked or you lose some yardage or whatever, you kick the field goal and you play defense. Um, and also the defense knows that too. And that's where the sneak was most open on third down. Yeah, definitely. They had the one guy um, over the ball and it was probably there. And and Coach Dyke said after the game how, uh, you know, like we said, how Max had emptied the tank that maybe that played into some of the decision making there in, in, at the final plays of they thought their best chance to get that yard was taking the ball out of his hands, which is unfortunate. And they probably looking back in hindsight would say, let's at least give Max a shot here. Um, but y- you can understand the reasoning a little bit from that perspective of if they just thought that, that Max didn't have that gear, which I don't know. It, it, he always has that gear, right? Even, even when, even when it's empty, he's got the next, the next one, uh, the next play in them. So I think it's, I think it's just unfortunate that it worked out that way. And that 
Kendra Miller wasn't able to score. Well, that he wasn't ruled as having scored because on that third down, he did score. Um, whatever the officiating crew wants to say and, and the official statement from the Big 12 says about it, we all know he scored. Um, and we don't have to worry about it because TCU got in the playoff anyway. And while we'd love to have that big 12 trophy, you know, sitting in the trophy case, uh, you know, I think, I guess to, to say what the big 12 comment on it was, they said that the ball was knocked out of his hands prior to crossing the goal line, but it, he regained possession but was not across the goal line when he regained possession. That is, that's the official position of the big 12 conference. Um, I don't think there's anything in watching the replay to, to suggest that that's what happened. Um, I think it's, it's pretty clear. He, his, he crossed the plane there. Uh, but it, uh, you know, again, and this is, this is something Max said after the game of they ruled it that way. So that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to go out and play that next down. Um, and that next down, you know, Kendra was stopped well short yards short. Um, and TCU defense comes out and, and isn't able to, you know, uh, yeah, you're going to get a field goal in the overtime possession. So, um, barring anything crazy, that was going to be, uh, pretty much game over at that point. Once TCU did not score from, inches away yeah i i did they run the same play twice at the very end it looked like they ran almost the same exact play maybe there were some it, slight it might have been but yeah, yeah i it, like like i said it was it was really disappointing we could talk about the officiating and whether or not kendra was in we know max was in shout out baylor max was in but um <laughs> Yeah, that's, again, another one of those situations where if you quarterback sneak it, maybe you don't have to go back and talk about that. Again, just a missed, oppor- a missed opportunity uh, for TCU. And like you said, fortunately, the Frogs are going to be in the playoffs. So uh, a win in the Fiesta Bowl <coughs> is going to mean a lot more, and it's going to be a lot more memorable for these fans and these players than a Big 12 championship. But um, one last little note that I'll make on the Big 12 championship game, since we haven't talked about the defense too much, but I thought Dylan Horton had a really nice performance in this game. He had two sacks and quietly has had a really nice season for for TCU and was the team's leading sacker last season, stuck around playing a new technique and a new scheme with a new coordinator, a lot of new coaches, and we called him out earlier this season on the podcast. I remember, I can't remember what game it was, maybe the Kansas game or one of those midseason games about the defensive line getting more of a pass rush initiated. And he was one of the guys who needed to really get going for this defense to start getting after the quarterback. And I believe he's up to six and a half sacks now, which says a lot about a player who's having to bulk up and play a different technique um, in a different defensive alignment. And then, you know, just as a whole, I think the Frogs defensively fared pretty well in this game. Even though Kansas State scored 31 points, I wasn't really 
super disappointed with the defense like I was in, say, the West Virginia game or the Kansas game or even the Baylor game. Um, Deuce Vaughn exploded for a touchdown run late in the game, but you take that 44-yard touchdown run and put it aside, I think he had 25 carries for 87 or 88 yards. So anytime you can hold Deuce Vaughn, a player of that caliber, to three and a half yards per carry or less, you're doing a really nice job defensively. And Will Howard, I think, completed only 18 of 31, 18 of 32 passing. So it's not like he was really a game breaker for Kansas State either. I think you just saw an offense that did not make mistakes. They didn't commit too many penalties, uh, didn't turn the ball over, and found ways to get creative when they had to to open things up for their best player, which was Deuce Vaughn. So uh, I think a, a learning experience for sure uh, for TCU's coaching staff, Sonny Dykes included. If they're in a similar situation to kick a 55-yard field goal, maybe they try something different. They're in a goal line situation, maybe they try something different. But um, still some positives, I think, to take away from this game. Quentin Johnston... Fumble aside, had four catches, I think, for 134, 138 yards. So uh, a pretty good performance for him. Max Duggan, obviously, 251 passing yards, 110 rushing yards. Was probably his best game of the season as a runner. So they're going to need every ounce of Max Duggan they can get and every ounce of Quentin Johnston and Kendra Miller as they get ready now for Michigan. Yeah, definitely. And and just to touch on your, your Horton point a little bit, I mean, he has really come on down the stretch. It's um he's he's had a very impressive close to the season and I, I think the defense as a whole has come along throughout the season. I think a lot of people have anytime any score happens, people get so upset on Twitter on game threads and stuff, and it's just like, you know, teams are gonna score. Um, Deuce Vaughn is going to put on a move and sit down Mark Perry and there's no, nothing you can do about it. I mean, that's, that's what he does to everybody. Um, and you just, yeah, Kansas state absolute props to them for this, the way they played this game, uh, to come out with very few penalties, no turnovers, just a very clean game. And, um, they were able to to outlast the frogs in the end. That the last thing I'll say before we move on from from this game is, you know, for me this was the the first post game press conference that I've been in for a losing side. So it was a it was obviously a very different vibe, um, but it was it was a very, it was a very emotional room. I mean, you saw, I'm sure most TCU fans have probably seen a lot of the video of Max Duggan in the room. Um, but you know, you, you can just, you can just feel the, the emotion of that guy. Um, and you can see why, you know, coach Dykes got emotional talking about him after the SMU game. Um, and, and this team really just rides for that guy. Um, that they, they will go to battle for Max Duggan and, you know, his, his response to questions about like, you know, I just really wanted to bring this school a championship and, um, 
you know, how he came up short today. And it, you know, it's like, man, I really, I just want to give this guy a hug. <laughs> like, man, I, I'm like, uh, clearly he, he was, was torn up after the game and, and all of the guys that came out. So they had, um, D winters and Quentin Johnston and Sonny Dykes obviously came out as well. And, and everybody was, uh, pretty beat up about losing that game. I think everybody obviously really wanted it, but, um, to see that kind of emotion in a post game and for, for him to kind of stand up there and take the questions from the media and, and give real clear responses. And, um, I don't know. It's just another, like, man, how can you not love Max Duggan? Mm -hmm. Uh, he's, he's everything you would, you could want out of a a college quarterback or out of a, a player to, to root for. Yeah. And I thought a little bit about the 2014 season when TCU was unbeaten going on the road against Baylor and they have that 58 37 lead in the fourth quarter and Baylor pulls out that huge comeback, wins that game 61 58. And the emotions were really high in the locker room after that game too. A lot of players, I remember Gary Patterson talking about it and uh, players talking about just, there were a lot of, there weren't many dry eyes in the locker room after that game. And I think this championship game was a very similar feeling for these guys and just the kind of run that they had been on um, all the, all the tremendous second half comebacks TCU has had this season the well just ran a little dry this time, but I think this team still has so much to play for with a college football playoff game coming up against one of the best teams in the country, currently the second best team, Michigan, but just over the last couple seasons, it's been Georgia and Michigan. When you look at their, their win-loss records, it's been those two teams kind of clearing everyone above the pack, and this is an opportunity now for TCU, who's already uh i believe a eight or an eight or nine point uh underdog to come in as a as an underdog again and have that mentality of this could be one last ride for this group as an underdog going into Arizona against a big time college football program you know why not us why not TCU i think that's been kind of a a motto that some players have expressed throughout the season. Um, the national respect and recognition has slowly begun to build up as we get into this postseason here. And I think that's reflected in a lot of the awards that players and coaches have received. But um, if you could go into Arizona and knock off Michigan after a really tough emotional loss in the conference championship game that would put a lot of people on the moon, including fans and everybody in that locker room. So still so much to play for. And I hope the team now just uses this time to get, get healthy, get rested, continue to practice hard and, and get ready for another huge matchup coming up. Yeah, I mean, you you talked about that 2014 team and the emotions after that game. After that Baylor game, TCU didn't lose again until November of 2015. So, uh, maybe they maybe they use this as that fuel. Go, 
let's go just win two more games and just just take that national championship home. That, that sure would be incredible. Um, hope to would love to see it happen. Um, and yeah, I mean, there is certainly a level of respect that TCU is receiving in the there's a there's a lot of the national media and pretty much very few people outside of maybe Tuscaloosa, maybe Knoxville would say that TCU should not be in the playoff, right? There's that that's that's a pretty clear state um for the national media to think. The other side of that coin though, nobody thinks TCU's winning this game against Michigan. Not a single person will pick it. Not a, nobody's giving TCU even a little bit of a chance. And uh you know, we'll get into it. I don't I haven't watched a whole lot of Michigan, to be honest, this season, just because most all but one of maybe two of their games were just going to be blowouts. I mean, they're they're just extremely better than everyone else in that conference. Um, you know, they had the close game against Illinois that that they end up sneaking away with. But you know, I, I don't I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. Already though, the betting market, yeah, opened with TCU as a ten and a half point underdog. It's already down to like eight and a half, maybe some places seven and a half. So there's somebody out there has some respect for TCU and um maybe as that gets closer to game time that that creeps under a touchdown and um similar to the other game. I mean the Georgia Ohio State game is about a touchdown spread between them. Um, I, I think it'll be a better game than, than a lot of, than a lot of pundits fresh out the gate are, are giving for the Horn Frogs. Yeah. I think when you look at, uh, the way Michigan season has, has wound up here, like you said, the big 10, there just isn't that same level of parity that you see in the big 12. And that's what I enjoy most about watching all of these bowl games and, people like to talk about how there are too many bowl games and why give six and six and seven and five teams another opportunity to play. Well, it's a good opportunity to see just how these conferences stack up against each other because there's so much uh, dialogue and so many narratives that form throughout the year that the SEC is elite. No, the Big 12 is elite. Oh, the ACC is trash. No, the Big 10 is trash. It's, it's an opportunity to figure out who's actually good and who's actually bad. And um, a lot of Michigan games this year, the line has been 20 plus points, 30 plus points. So um, really, really interested to see how, how TCU matches up here. Uh, Michigan is not going to have Blake Corum for this game. That's obviously a huge loss for them. Uh, He's having knee surgery, I believe on a, on a torn MCL, so he's going to be out for the year. Donovan Edwards, though, is still big time. He's had multiple big 100-yard. Sorry, guy. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's I mean, had he's... multiple 100-yard rushing games this year. Had a huge game against Ohio State. Uh, J.J. McCarthy, shout-out to LaGrange Park, Illinois, Nazareth Academy. I always like to see the Illinois high school players go on to do big things at the collegiate level, but uh, he's a young quarterback that's playing some really good football right now. And I think Ohio state where they were doomed defensively in that game against Michigan was, uh, they sold out on the run entirely, even with Blake Corum not playing because they, I don't think they believed JJ McCarthy would be able to make the necessary throws 
and the necessary big plays to win that game. Well, he went off for 300 plus yards and four total touchdowns and, and really kind of sealed the game with that rushing touchdown in the second half. So he's playing really good football right now, even without Blake Corum, they can still run the ball like hell and their defense is arguably one of the best in the country, but their run defense is elite. They're only giving up 85 yards per game. And for, for TCU, who has kind of struggled to run the ball in recent games, um, didn't do so well against Baylor. Iowa State seemed like it was kind of hit or miss. Didn't do it well against Kansas State in the Big 12 championship. It's going to be a big-time test to see whether or not TCU can reestablish that line of scrimmage. And if they can't, whether or not they're going to be able to adjust or if they're going to do what they did in the Big 12 championship. And that's just put it all on Max's shoulders if that if that inside run game isn't there. Yeah, I think, goodness, Michigan is a very good football team. I mean, yeah, Blake Corm goes down. All right, we've got a, another five-star. Just throw him out there in the two biggest games of the year, and he just runs wild, and, and they go and dominate. Um, J.J. McCarthy has – he's another a five-star guy. I think people forget that – McCarthy was a five-star quarterback. You know, I think like there's so much talk about CJ Stroud and about how great he is for Ohio state. Um, but McCarthy just flat out played him in that, in that big 10 championship game. And, you know, I, I'm worried about McCarthy. I think he's, he is hitting a stride right now that, you know, last season they they made the playoffs and he, it was thought maybe he would be the guy coming out, true freshman, um, big time recruit, but he, they did it without McCarthy. And now they are hitting this offensive kind of explosion down the stretch of the season um, that is, is definitely scary to, to see as a TCU fan. Um, you know, I think, I think TCU's secondary is, better than certainly what they played against maybe maybe anywhere in uh in the Big 10 uh or at least outside of the Illinois game. I think Illinois secondary is also really strong and that's the toughest game that that Michigan played this season. Um so I do think TCU's defense has some ways to give them some fits and maybe maybe force some mistakes from McCarthy that um that he he didn't really have to deal with against Ohio State and against Purdue. Um, you, those are those are defenses and secondaries that allow a quarterback like McCarthy uh, to to find his receivers and let him just get loose. Um, and yeah, the defense it's it's going to be a struggle for the Frogs here. I think you know C.J. Stroud is not the runner that Max Duggan is. So I think that, you know, we talk about putting it back on Max's back. I think that's where it's going to be is you're going to at least have to show that threat of Max taking off of, you know, putting, putting those uh, Michigan defenders in some bad spots to where you can kind of just dump some over the top of them or, uh, or something, you know, and, and then of course, maybe Kendra Miller and Quentin Johnston just go nuts. And that's, that's what it is that, that wins the day 
Um, but much more to talk about in Michigan going forward. I think um, it'll be fun to really dig into what they do. This is the first time ever in in the long, long histories of TCU football and, and Michigan Wolverine football that these two teams have ever played. So, um, you know, we we know very little of experiencing them as a fan base, as uh, obviously one of the largest um, brands and fan bases in the country. So uh, I don't know if that means they will be like dealing with Texas Longhorn fans, or if it's uh, if it's a better group of people, I don't know. But um, no, no, that's a that was a that was an uncalled for shot at the Longhorns. I'm sure they'll have fun in uh, the, the Alamo, Alamo Bowl. Remember the Alamo. <laughs> you know, just one one um, little note that I'll make before we move on here yeah. to, to some of these awards is, um, I'm not sure how many receivers like Quentin Johnston that Michigan has seen this year. Uh, Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. is big time. Some people have even joked that he should pull a Jamar Chase and sit out next year because he's going to be a, a top draft as well. prospect yeah. in, in 24. And uh, unfortunately, Ohio State didn't have Jackson Smith and Jigba for this game, and he's not playing in the in the playoff game against Georgia either. But I'd be curious to see how Quentin Johnston is going to perform against this defense because – I felt like at times uh, Ohio State had those deep routes to Marvin Harrison. They scored on a touchdown on one of those plays, but I felt like they kind of went away from him as as the game progressed. And with the Buckeyes being in kind of a deficit, they just he wasn't really a factor in the second half. I don't know if that's because of Michigan's defense maybe shadowing him with a safety or just uh, him not being able to win one-on-one coverage or what the deal was, but um, Quentin Johnston is another big-time player just like him, so uh, it'll be really interesting to see how how he can, can fare against that pass defense. Yeah, I mean, Michigan gave Charlie Jones from Purdue 13 catches for 162 yards last, last week in the Big Ten Championship game, so... Um, could TCU take advantage in that way? Um, maybe that's a vulnerability. We we will see. So let's jump into some of the award stuff. I think we'll go right straight ahead to the big one. Max Duggan officially named a Heisman finalist. Um, four quarterbacks will be headed to New York for the ceremony this Saturday night. Uh, the other quarterbacks joining him for that trophy presentation will be Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, and presumptive favorite, likely winner, USC quarterback Caleb Williams. Um, Caleb Williams is pretty much well-assumed to be the person who's going to win this award. Um, I think he was more or less guaranteed it going into before the Pac-12 championship. Uh, his, his odds dropped a bit with his performance there, uh, with his profane nail, uh, (laughs) manicure that, that he had, uh, his FU Utah uh, and, and, you know, look, all that's well and good. That's, that's fine. You know, have, have fun with it. Uh, you know, Tim Tebow can like paint John 316 or whatever under his eyes and you can paint 
F you tall on, on your fingernails, but you just, you have to know that when you lose, you, you gotta get called yeah, on it. Might, might right. I mean, stay off social media for a little while. If, if you're going to do it's, that kind of stuff, it's going to be bad. And, and then, you know, after we talked about Max's press conference where he's showing emotion, he goes on Twitter and, and gives an LOL, uh, in response to, I think RG three's tweet, something like, how can you not love Max Duggan? Uh, I mean, look, it's not, it's not, it's not an award for the person you like the most. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield won this award. Johnny Menzel won this award. Uh, they, they were the best player in college football. Caleb Williams has had that kind of a season where he, um, without Caleb Williams, USC's probably like a four loss team easily. Um, I mean, they're still a two loss team and they're playing in the cotton bowl against Tulane. So <clears throat> I don't, I don't know how, I guess for, from your perspective, what do you think? Do you think Max has a chance to jump up to one? Is he definitely locked at two or is there something weird about the, the Heisman voters that he's somewhere he's three or four? You know what? I think going into the championship weekend, it was pretty much a two horse race between Max Duggan and Caleb Williams. Now I will say, uh, did not expect Stetson Bennett to be named a finalist. Um, my prediction, I believe, when I named my four, was uh, Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, C.J. Stroud, and Blake Corum was actually my fourth because of the season that Michigan has had and the player that he is and the kind of season that he's had. Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, I think, was absolutely deserving of being a finalist as well. I think those two guys missing a couple games with injury – may have played a factor. Um, especially at the end of the season. Especially at the end of the yeah. season. And not that Stetson Bennett is a bad player, because he's not. He's a winner. Like, when you talk about winning at the college level, almost like A.J. McCarron-like in terms of just how successful he's been at Georgia. But he's a good game-managing quarterback. Um I think because he went off in the SEC championship with four touchdowns and nearly 400 yards, that's probably what clinched it for him. But I think you got to give it to either Corum or, or hooker over, over a guy like that. If you're going to nominate him for some other quarterback awards, I think he was a, a finalist for the Johnny Unitas golden arm award. That's well deserved, but um, did not expect Stetson Bennett there. But anyways, I think, What's interesting, though, with Max, for those who don't know, Max Duggan did win the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. He was in Baltimore uh, recently to attend the ceremony and receive that award. He was also this evening named the winner of the Davey O'Brien Award, which is really cool for multiple reasons. Number one, Davey O'Brien, if anyone wants to brush up on their TCU history, was a legendary TCU quarterback between 1936-1938, was a Heisman Trophy winner, uh, College Football Hall of Famer inducted in 1955. Um, Max Duggan's the first player in TCU history to to win this award, which is for the best quarterback in college football. So that's really cool. And I saw a tweet about an hour or so ago before we hopped on this podcast, nine of the last 12 winners of the Davy O'Brien award have gone on to win the Heisman trophy for what, for what that's worth. So, um, 
does that uh, drop Caleb Williams' odds a little bit? I don't know. I think if you're just looking solely on statistics, because the USC, I think, has had a good enough season to where just purely on statistics, Caleb Williams has it by a pretty significant margin. But I, I feel like, and this is going to make me sound like a huge homer, I know it is, but when you think about what makes a college football player and players that have had those moments in the game where it's been on them to make it happen. Uh, Caleb Williams had a, a couple of those moments against UCLA. I don't think he's had any of those moments at any other point in the season. Could have had it against Utah, and unfortunately, it just didn't happen. Um, but for Max, to have that moment against Baylor in the fourth quarter, Kansas State in the fourth quarter, the development of Max as a player, as compared to someone like Caleb Williams, who came in and was playing at an elite level right away at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley, um, also transferred and is playing at two schools in two years. Max Duggan is a four-year college player who has taken significant leaps in terms of his production and his development. Again, unquestionable leadership and toughness and says all the right things. You, You watch interviews and you watch video and it's extremely difficult like you mentioned not to root for the guy how much how much that factors into Heisman voting I don't know um I think my heart is telling me that Max Duggan's gonna win but my gut is telling me that it's probably gonna be Caleb Williams so I yeah I I think my I think my brain is telling me Caleb Williams is going to win I think he went into that final week with such a lead, mm-hmm. I think, uh, over over Duggan. And even if uh, Max kind of narrowed the gap in that performance in the Big 12 championship game, both players lost their final game. You know, I think maybe if Max does score a touchdown there at, at the goal line in overtime and TCU goes on to win – Maybe that sways a few more voters just on the basis of he won the conference championship. He's the winner. He got his team to the playoff, blah, 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 um, which is all still true, but they didn't did not win that trophy. So I think I think it'll be interesting. I don't know how much of this is just us talking ourselves into it for Max um, and and kind of maybe trying to build drama for the TV show that that they'll put on to to pass it out. But um, in any case, it's, it's pretty incredible to think of Max Duggan Heisman finalist as some, another thing of this season of, you could have never imagined that that would ever have been the case. Um, you know, anything outside of like a joke. Um, so extremely extremely excellent for for TCU to have, be on this spotlight again um and yeah he he did win the Davey O'Brien award which uh for the for the best quarterback and all the other finalists are quarterbacks so if he's the best quarterback and he's only up against quarterbacks mm-hmm. well i think he's the best right um however i think also one of those like x number out of x years goes on to win the Heisman the Maxwell award for which 
Duggan was not even a finalist, um, which was ridiculous, obviously. Um, Caleb Williams won that award. So I think, I, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, something like eight out of the last nine Maxwell Award winners goes on to win the Heisman. So um, it won't be a clean sweep for Caleb Williams, at least uh, since Duggan took home the Davey O'Brien. Um, but we'll find out Saturday if if he'll be putting the pose, getting another, uh, oh man, putting the Heisman Trophy into the TCU Hall of Fame there at, at Schollmeyer, show it off. Uh, that would that would be fantastic. Just, oh man, I really I really hope for it for Max, just because, oh man, the I don't know if you saw the the video of like his mom telling him that uh yeah, that he yeah, won the Davy O'Brien award just just fantastic i mean just whole, wholesome content all around you'll love to see it describe it oh man all right so other awards let's see duggan has also won walter camp national player of the year finalist um i guess that's it for duggan yeah so um from the awards show that ESPN put on tonight, um, the big one was Travis Hodges Tomlinson won the Jim Thorpe Award for Best Defensive Back. Second time in three years that this has been given to a TCU player. Trevin Morig won this back in 2020. Uh, so TCU is DBU. <laughs> um, so, you know, all you Texas and LSU and Alabama, no, you're not DBU. It's, it's all TCU, uh, at least in the, these last three years. So um, an impressive honor for him. Um, and, you know, really for anyone on TCU's defense to, to get anything who was on the team, on the 2021 team, uh, to come back and, and win a national award, especially one as, as hotly contested as the Thorpe Award. It's it's very prestigious award. And uh that 2021 defense was so bad <laughs> to imagine uh, uh, Tomlinson to come out and, and take this. I think it's, it's one of those that it's a credit to him. He's been very excellent this year, but it's really also a credit to um, the health of a lot of the rest of uh, the secondary. Um, he was put in a lot of bad positions in 21, just because everybody was injured or terrible. Um in 22, he had the benefit of Josh Newton playing on the other side of him, who all conference guy and really allowed that defense to play in a way that um, didn't have to put either of them in terrible positions that they, they could really just go out and, and play their best ball. So I, I think that's really an award for the entire TCU defensive back as a whole backfield as a whole. Um, but but big congrats to to THT for for taking home that award. Yeah, and a player that uh, may not have even come back this year. I think there was some conversation after last season because he was a he was a junior who had some really good film out there. Some people thought that if he had declared for the draft, maybe he goes day two potentially, but chose to come back for his senior season and really had a. Uh, kind of like Dylan Horton, where we we didn't talk about him a whole lot, but really had a nice season up and down. Um, there were a couple moments here or there. I know earlier in the season we kind of 
uh, jumped on him a little bit for the Rasheed Rice matchup. But uh, I think about the Kansas State game, I, I don't even know if they threw many balls his way in, in that game. And he's found ways to generate turnovers. I think about the forced fumble in the Baylor game, interception in the, in the Texas game. Just an all-around really competitive player for his size and someone who I think is definitely going to find a role in the NFL, whether it's as a corner or as a nickel corner working out of the slot. I think he's absolutely going to be uh, playing at the next level. Yeah, man, his his tackling ability this season, you know, his tackling in space where even on those where he's giving up catches, he's not giving up extra yards, um, I, I think was was really impressive this year. He he put on some great tape and, uh, you know, I guess he probably still would have another year for the COVID year if, if he wanted to come back. Um, so to be determined on that, but um, quite a quite a huge honor for for Tomlinson. The other big one tonight that was announced was Sonny Dykes earned the Home Depot Coach of the Year award, um, which I guess is the one that ESPN recognizes. But there are several Coach of the Year awards. I think Sonny Dykes is winning all of them. Let's see, he's got CBS Sports, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Walter Camp national coach. He's a finalist for the Eddie Robinson coach of the year. Um, I don't know if AP coach of the year finalists or anything like that has been announced, but um, Sonny Dykes is going to need to get like some, some more shelving in his office to, to hold all the awards he's going to take home from this, this incredible season, his first year at TCU. And he's going to have a little bit of extra space for that new contract. Um, Sonny Dykes reportedly agreeing to a, a contract extension that's going to keep him at TCU through, I believe, the 2028 season. So uh, that's really good news there. Obviously, when a team like TCU is having the kind of season that it's having, uh, you put yourself at some vulnerability for poaching to occur. And we will talk about that to a degree in a little bit. But um, nice to see Sonny be rewarded and Again, we talked about uh, where Max Duggan wound up this year and how I don't think anyone in their wildest dreams could have believed that he'd be a Heisman finalist when it was all said and done this year. I I will admit that I was not super excited about the Sonny Dykes hiring when it was first announced. Um, Nothing personal whatsoever, but was was he number one on my preferred list of candidates, I'll go ahead and just say it. No, he wasn't. But what he's been able to do and the staff that he's been able to assemble, I think has, he's been, he's been a really good CEO, if that makes sense. He's assembled a really good staff of coaches. He says all of the right things when he speaks to the media and talks with his players and, I think there's a great level of respect there and perhaps he just needed the resources to be able to put everything in place and TCU is the right place for him to do that. But it's absolutely well-deserved for, for Sonny Dykes, not only all the awards, but also the contract extension and uh, hopefully he can continue to uh, 
keep staff and put staff in, in the best positions to, to be successful. And, you know, one of those guys is Garrett Riley, who was the winner of the Broyles Award, which is given each year for the best assistant coach in college football. Um, TCU unquestionably has taken a significant leap on that side of the ball this year, averaging just over 40 points a game, uh, 473 yards per game, still at the top of the Big 12 or close to the top of the Big 12 in rushing. Um, Frogs have run the ball pretty well over the last few years, but the passing game has really struggled. Offensive line has really struggled. Um, Everything has seemed to come around this year, and the development of Max Duggan, I think you have to attribute some of that to Garrett Riley, who's also the quarterback's coach, in addition to the offensive coordinator. So uh, congratulations to, to Sonny Dykes and to... Garrett Riley on, on all of their accolades. Yes, absolutely. So just a little bit of coaching carousel. I mean, there's, there's been this reported news and I guess on Riley, we don't know anything yet about any reported news. I think a lot of message boards are using his name as a, we would sure love to bring in Garrett Riley to uh, yeah, co- college know. college football fan fiction is kicking into full gear right now. Yeah, yeah. The the same way that like Nick Saban is going to go coach Purdue or whatever. Like you know that's we'll, we'll see we'll see. But um, no. I, so Garrett Riley's name will continue to be in a lot of fan bases' mouths as they try to fill offensive coordinator roles and head coaching roles. Um. I'd like to think that TCU can can do what is necessary to to keep him around um at least for a little while until he's ready to take a a really big job um in a head job somewhere if if it comes to it um but congrats to him for this for this season and this award elsewhere on some coaching curiosities on the carousel I guess so uh internal to TCU um the, I guess, recruiting coordinator. I don't know what his official title is at TCU, but Brian Carrington is reportedly on the move to Arizona State um, to join that new regime, reuniting with uh, his old pal Rashad Samples, who was at TCU for about a month after the the coaching changeover before heading over to the LA Rams. Um, you know, Carrington was was a was a big piece he's a, he's a big name in the recruiting world was a big piece of what uh the staff was doing to uh bring in big time talent to to come to TCU so i think it would will be a loss um for the frogs and we'll see how that role gets filled going forward yeah brian carrington i believe his official title was uh recruiting coordinator and offensive analyst but he's leaving now uh, reportedly to be the cornerbacks coach at Arizona State. And like you said, reuniting with Rashad Samples, who was with Sonny Dykes at SMU, had come over to TCU with Garrett Riley and others, was with the Frogs for like four or five weeks, and then left to take the running backs coach position for the LA Rams. And he is now also reportedly heading to Arizona State to be the uh, wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator. So uh, those are two big time names in terms of recruiting for Texas talent. Um, 
a little funny that, you know, Brian Carrington, back when he was beefing with Texas Tech fans on Twitter with the cactus emojis and whatnot, he put out a tweet uh, back in October kind of poking fun at out-of-state schools for recruiting in the state of Texas. Um, and now he's leaving for Arizona State to presumably do the same thing, I would figure, uh, because I don't know how many big-time football players they're going to find in the state of Arizona. But um, best of luck to Brian Carrington and, and to Rashad Samples. And um, for both of those guys, I know it's going to be their their fourth jobs in, in about two years. Um, samples from SMU to TCU to L.A. to Arizona State. And uh, Carrington, who's at USC for one year before TCU and at Texas before that, was involved in the signing of Bijan Robinson. Um, so two guys that have been kind of bouncing around like hot potatoes over the last couple of years, unfortunately. Um, hopefully they find success. Um, hopefully also on TCU's end, it's not going to have a huge impact on recruiting just with the class that's being put together right now for 2023. Currently ranking number 19 by 247 Sports, a lot of four-star prospects uh, on their way, including Marcus Deal, who was signed fairly recently, or committed fairly recently, excuse me. Um, but a lot of talent that Brian Carrington had been involved in recruiting to TCU. So hopefully there isn't a whole lot of turnover in terms of decommits, especially with early signing day coming up on December 21st. So we'll be keeping an eye on recruiting as well here at Frogs of War as we get closer to early signing day, but ultimately it is a, a tough loss for TCU in the recruiting ranks and hopefully the staff that's still a part of the program can can pick up some of that steam and continue to, to keep it going. Yeah, you know, I think one thing is the TCU that whomever fills that role and for the, the rest of the coaching staff that's still around, um, you know, pushing recruiting at this point, you're you're selling now a playoff participant. You're you're selling a Heisman Trophy finalist. Um, you're selling a different world than you were a year ago at this time, um, and it's the kind of thing that begins to sell itself. Um, I think TCU's NIL situation is probably improved since that time. Um, obviously there's just a lot of momentum around the program. A lot of people, uh, the fan base is extremely fired up. I mean, it was basically impossible for anyone to get a ticket, um, to the, to this Fiesta Bowl. Uh, they're already on StubHub for like 500 bucks a piece in the worst seats. So people are really fired up about TCU football. And I, I think that will translate into recruiting as well, just because, uh, you know, you don't have to say we think this could happen because it's happening. It's happening right now. TCU is headed into the playoff. And so, uh, yeah, I think one, one fun thing that the a lot of people have enjoyed with the playoff is this is the first te Texas team, team from the state of Texas, yeah. to be in the playoff uh, since its inception. So, um, you know. You, you can go play in front of a, a 12th man. You, you can go play in, in your burnt orange and, and have a lot of, uh, you know, eyeballs on you. 
in the stadium. But uh, when it when it comes to winning football games and and playing on the the real national stage, TCU is the place to do it right now. So transfer portal is also open. Um, obviously, there's I, I put up a post on Frogs of War earlier this week, just with the some of the big names that are coming out already from the Big Twelve. So some interesting things there. Uh, we'll see how that impacts TCU because the Frogs are in the playoffs. Not a lot of portal movement at this point. Just, you know, people don't want to miss out on being a part of the playoff team. So people aren't jumping into the portal out of the TCU at this point. And um, TCU's not bringing anybody in. No, we're, we're not shaking up the the pot too much yet. So uh, <clears throat> nothing really official. I think maybe one, one player has jumped in today into the portal. Um, but it's certainly a big impact to college football at whole. And and to the Big Twelve, I mean Spencer Sanders, Hudson Carr, JT Daniels, um, Chiron Drones, big quarterback names, big names uh, across the board. Theo Weiss from Oklahoma. Oklahoma's lost like six four stars. Donovan Smith um, from Texas Tech. He's in there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, you know this is the way things are now. So you know people come in and they're going to move around, and it'll be interesting to see how different things look going into the 2023 season. All right. Um, that's probably all for football. And we've already gone well over what we would typically go for, uh, for an episode. So I think we'll go ahead and close it there. Um, you know, there's, there's some to talk about with men's basketball, go to Dickie's arena on Saturday, go see him take on the, uh, the ponies from across town here in Fort worth. And, uh, that's a that's a neutral site game at Dickies. It's late night, nine p.m. Go check that out. Uh, TCU volleyball did um, win their first game in the the NCAA tournament, uh, but fell in the second round to the juggernaut that is the Wisconsin Badgers volleyball team, um, who have now I think advanced as of tonight. They were winning. I think they won tonight uh, to advance to the Elite Eight. So that's um, was always going to be a tough task there, but um, another impressive. An impressive run from the TCU volleyball team to to get into the tournament and get a win. Um, I think that's going to be all for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks, you know, go go follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Um, and uh, ho- hope to see you out at the Fiesta Bowl if if you were lucky enough to you know sell enough blood. <laughs> Or whatever you had yeah, to do to donate to, your plasma, to, to don't, donate a kidney, yeah. do what you got to do to, uh, you know, <laughs> to get your hands on one of those tickets. But um, anyway, I think that's that's all I've got. Go frogs! Yep, go frogs!